Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. This is Laura Camacho and the Speak Up podcast, where we talk about the conversations that you need to have to make the world a better place. And today we have a guest who is also in the wonderful city of Charleston, South Carolina, along with me. His name is Zach Giglio, and he's also in the communications business. He has a communication and marketing firm called GCM, as in Giglio Communications and Marketing. And he does all the communication tasks for a bunch of different companies, local and around the world, which is something else we have in common. So you are going to enjoy. He's going to tell us some really interesting stories and some give everybody listening some good tips on how to use this PR communication expertise in your career with your group to move things forward. First of all, we have a sponsor today and I'm going to let him speak for himself. We've got a great, great message here. Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. If you like listening to this show as much as I enjoyed being a guest on this show, maybe you'll be a fan of my new podcast, The Indispensables. Each week, I ask my guests what sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. I've interviewed some amazing people at all levels and organizations of all shapes and sizes with some amazing stories, including the former chief of staff of the United States Army, General Dennis Ryan. New York Times columnist Ron Lieber, Kara Golden, the founder and CEO of Hint, and many, many more. Consider please listening and subscribing to The Indispensables on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, right. so or wherever that, you're listening to, to this show. Podcast and tell us, let's start off by you telling us about yourself and how you got into this racket of communication. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Laura. I really appreciate you having me. I'm excited to be on the podcast. And great that we're in the same neck of the woods. It's great as you and I both do work all over the world. It's nice to kind of be speaking to someone in your own backyard. So it's great. So I got started in Washington, D.C. doing comms and public affairs, but I've kind of had the privilege of traveling and living around the world and working around the world and meeting different people and really have found and believe in the power of human connection, both on a personal level, but also on a business level. So we've come to find that really anything that moves the needle happens on happens through human connection and on the basis of trust. And so we thought about that and decided to build a business based around human connections that's focused on communications and marketing. So we're a global family-founded comms and marketing firm. We believe in the power of human connection. We believe in the power of good. We get to know our clients from the inside out so we can create thoughtful comms campaigns that resonate on a human level. And again, putting the human first. And we were sitting, I remember my wife, Emma, and I, who's also my business partner and founded this business with us, with me, where we were sitting one day and realized that if we know that 90% of all decisions are made based on emotion and that we use logic to justify that decision to ourselves and to everybody else, and we know that trust drives decisions and drives behavior and relationships, and increasingly so, why is everybody selling what they do? And we came up with this idea of who is your business. And now we didn't invent this, but we independently arrived at it. And we looked around and we saw that all the best organizations and the best thought leaders already were selling more who they are as opposed to what they do. 
And so that's a really strong guiding principle in all the work that we do with, with our clients. And we like to think that we work with clients and on projects that are having positive impacts in the communities these clients operate in, in their industries, and for the environment and people around the world. We probably aren't always going to get that right, but at least that's our guiding star, and that's where we try to focus. Okay. Well, I saw that you also have political experience, didn't you? Yes. Work with the list. So tell real quickly about that. That's curious. Yeah. yeah. So we traveled around and I worked for legislation. One of them was around the financial overhaul in 2009, then for some healthcare issues. And then after a while, went back to my native Long Island, New York for a few years, which was before we moved down here. And I was a chief of staff for a legislator in New York. And, and while I was doing comms consulting and public affairs consulting on the side, and, and I loved it. I always thought that that was going to be everything that I did. That's why I moved to D.C. I still really enjoy politics. I was recently on my HOA as the vice president. <laughs> and I do. I'm still very passionate about it. But I decided it isn't where I wanted to earn my paychecks. It's rather where I wanted to kind of push, put my effort and my time. But, yeah, I was the chief of staff. And I do think that really helps how we think about comms as well, because if you're in politics, it's all about the person. How is this impact how is this impacting people? And particularly with local politics, you see how every policy, every piece of legislation, every action impacts your neighbor, the community as a whole. And I think that that principle really plays out in everything that we're doing at GCM now. And I think the good people like you also think about that in your work as well. And so that was a great experience, a lot of fun. It thickened my skin quite a bit. Uh, And it was fun. I'm really, really happy and proud of that time. I did my dissertation on the political rhetoric of former President Hugo Chavez of Venezuela. Wow. Okay. he was quite the communicator while train wrecking the country. And anyway, I did have a kind of a, like I couldn't stand politics for a while after doing such a deep dive yeah. into that business, but it is part of life. And I think it is a good school for those of us in the communication business, because it's such a, it's one thing to be able to do what you do well. And it's another thing to be able to explain it to somebody else in a compelling manner that makes them want, want to, to join and to really it. see like why you're doing it. And and then is for people and companies to develop this deep expertise in their business. But then if you don't market it, in fact, just Friday, I was talking to this very amazing, skilled woman in AI with a tech company. And she right away was making the case about why she should be vice president. And she was a very compelling case. I said, (laughs) okay, so what does your boss say? Oh, well, I haven't talked to him. He should know this already. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sorry, he should, and he does, but does it work that way? So anyway, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned that who you are, that's what is attractive to people more than what you do. And I think that applies whether you're a business or whether you're an individual working in a company. It's just something about that authenticity piece. But tell me how you came to that conclusion about the key of authenticity as essential for long-term success and also what stops people from being authentic. Yeah, it's a really good question and a really good point. And it's something that I continue to work on myself. I mean, I remember when I first started in Washington, D.C., and I would go into different networking events or different meetings, and I would always 
before I went, I would try to think of what these people want me to be. Like, what do they need from me? Who do I need to be to impress or to, to get the job done? And only with more time and experience, some success, and probably more importantly, lots of failures, have I gotten the confidence to be more authentic or as authentic as I think I can be. And it just turns out that the more authentic I am, the better reactions that I get and the more successful I'm able to be, whether it's just creating a new human connection, whether it's business, whether it's personal. And I remember an early story that I always think about when I was in Washington, where I was going, I started like this boutique public affairs firm, and we were going into a big pitch meeting with CVS. And I was still pretty young and still pretty junior. But they trusted me enough to be in this meeting. And before we go to the meeting, I help them with the presentation. And it's basically all about these trade shows, more or less. And so we get into the meeting. And very strangely, the first thing the woman at the meeting says is, I'm very excited to hear from you. It's nice to meet you. Please, just whatever you do, do not show me trade shows. I don't want to <laughs> hear about trade shows. And so my heart immediately drops. And I'm thinking, well... I have nothing here. So hopefully the head of this company and these other people are going to figure this out. And the head of the company, his words were, I think I remember exactly. He said, I know you said you don't want to see trade shows, but I'm going to show them to you anyway. And then for the next 15 minutes, proceeds to show videos and do an entire presentation on trade shows. And I was completely mortified. I just was looking at the window, looking at the door. And of course, she didn't like it. And at the end, she said very kindly, thank you. And you probably yeah. won't be hearing from us. <laughs> and we get downstairs. And I say to him, I'm saying, what the heck were you thinking? She specifically said she didn't want to see this. And that's exactly what you showed her. And he said, in life and in business, you need to go with who you are and what you got. Ooh. And the people that like it, great. And the people that don't, that's also great. Because that's who, those are the people that you want to figure out. And that was a lesson. I think I was, it was great for me to hear at that moment, but I needed a lot more experience for me to understand how powerful that actually is in my life and in my business. Oh, and if wow. I think about, yeah. yeah, and if I think about how that translates more into our idea of who is your business and, and being authentic and focusing on who you are as opposed to what you do, I think about large and small organizations who are already doing this very mm -hmm. successfully, and even big thought leaders. Mm -hmm. So if you look at a company like Apple, they can introduce hardware in the 1980s and 90s, then software. And now fast forward today, they're making watches and TV shows. Mm -hmm. And nobody questions, what is a computer company doing making a TV show? Why are they making watches? It's because they never were a computer company. They never sold their hardware or their design. They sold their identity as innovative and as think different. That's what they always sold. Whether or not they're going to make cars or TV shows or watches is irrelevant. And then if you look at, you might think, well, they're Apple, they have a lot of money, they can pull this off. But really, I mean, we started, our business started where my wife was starting a social media business, knocking on Main Street businesses' doors and, and doing the social media forum. And we applied this principle then as well. And it worked. It works whether you're a big company, whether you're a smaller company. It allows you, if people buy into who you are as an individual or as an organization, it allows right. you to pivot, to grow, to create trust, to create relationships, to make mistakes and get forgiveness. It allows you to do so much more than if you hang your entire brand on a product or a service and then a pandemic hits or 
and you mm-hmm. need to change your entire model, now you're scrambling. And the long-term success of that is, is just more limited. Right. Yeah. And it's so true, even at the individual level, that whatever, like I, I coach a lot of introverts. So I tell them, lean into it, own it, tell them that you're going to be short, you're going to get to the point, you're not going to tell a very epic story, you're going to tell little stories that give examples and and stop trying to be who you aren't because it's just exhausting. And people somehow, it doesn't resonate with people when you try to be somebody who you aren't. And I don't know how it is, what exact, because it's not, people just feel like, like you said, the 90% of decisions are based on emotion. It's the same thing. And I think people don't even, may not even realize, hey, Zach is just not sounding authentic to me. It's just like something is off, right? Something is right. it is not resonating. So anyway, yes, as they say, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. And it just takes courage yeah. to do that. But it really, it is the best. It's the best way to operate. And it's a lot more effective and efficient. So I love that advice to introverts. I think that's really powerful. I'm so happy to hear that because Like I know that I was always trying to be somebody what I thought other people wanted me to be. And the more that I lead into my weirdness, my own things, the more it works. So I mean, that advice that you're, that you're giving people is, is amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Well, it's like we all, we share the things that, that we needed to learn. So I didn't follow the path of trying to be somebody else. I don't think I had that vision. I just thought, oh, I would just, I would just go home and not play with you because it's not working out or something. But anyway, you just learned that, yeah, not everybody's going to be in your fan club. And that's right. that's just the way it is. So what is your approach to, like, if you have an idea a new, or, or a concept or a solution, like, what is your approach to winning people over, whether it's a contract? for your business or winning over a key stakeholder or getting them to accept a change in plans? Like, what is your approach to that? So it's, so really we try to get to know, like if we're getting into, we want to send a proposal or maybe try to get a new client or something, we'll spend a lot of time trying to get to know them as much as possible before we even put something on paper and send them numbers. And and a lot of times- well, so it doesn't always work. A lot of times clients, they'll just want the proposal. They'll send yeah. you an email. They'll say, they'll say, this is what we want. We're asking two or three other organizations to bid on this. And, and sometimes we just won't bite at that. Because okay. if they're not interested in getting to know us, then that's a red flag for us as well. We're not talking about, we work with a pretty big client and have some pretty decent sized budgets. And so when we're sending a proposal, we're asking our clients to make quite a significant investment in us. Mm-hmm. And, and I wouldn't feel comfortable with them doing that if they didn't feel like they got to know us really well beforehand. And so sometimes I'll fly to them. I'll fly to them wherever they are and spend a couple of days with them, go out to dinner. If we're having Zoom call, which is, as you know, is way more common these days and acceptable, which is also cool. We'll have calls just to get to know each other. So we won't talk about work or about the project in the first hour easy. I mean, it's like that's really common for us. And so we'll, we'll almost force feed it. We'll talk about philosophies. We'll talk about who we are. We are I always say something like, 
if we were a landscaping company, GCM, we'd be the same company. We would just be doing landscaping because I try to remove us and who we are and all of our people from our services to see if we are a fit because my biggest fear, and I'm a middle child. So this whole idea of like other people not being happy with me is really tough for me, to be honest. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so yeah, I'm, yeah, so I, I'm getting better at it, to be honest. I'm working at it and I'm trying to accept it. It still will never feel okay. But so one of my biggest fears is that we'll get into a, a significant contract that's a bad fit. And two or three months down the road, we're finding that out. Mm-hmm. And that's, to me, it's just worth the upfront time and energy and effort. And if this client isn't interested in getting to know us at least a little bit, then that's a good sign for us too. That's, it's just important enough for us that yes. that's where we kind of will draw a bit of a line. As far as getting someone maybe to change a course, there's times where we work with clients who they've been doing something for a very, the same way for a very long time and they're successful. And if they, wouldn't, if they weren't, they wouldn't be paying us money to right. do stuff for them. Right. But they've been doing things uh, for a long way. And so rather than us, it used to be where I'd try to just do everything at once. We'd mm-hmm. say like, oh, we could do all this. We can change everything. Look at all. And we'd have all the stats and all the numbers and we could prove that these are best practices. And it, did, it never mattered because people are often resistant to change, particularly when what they've been doing has been working on some level in the past. And right. so what we'll then, tr- what we'll try to do instead is find one piece of that that is important and allow us to to develop proof of concept, essentially. So if they want to, if we want to change a course or change someone's mind, rather than try to change the entire mind, we just try to change one piece and slowly work into that and grow it from there. Yeah, I like that idea of just really starting small. And another variation of that is like, let's try it for a month or a quarter or six months and see what happens. It's about mitigating yeah. risk in the mind of the person you're trying to persuade. And anytime you're presenting something new, I think even the most innovative people out there, they're going to, if it's not their idea, they're going to be a little bit resistant until you get them on board and you really find a way to make them a part of that solution. So always. And and you get to develop trust. Yes. Trust. I know. Trust is. is You get to develop that. Yep. That's so true. So you are a good storyteller. Have you always, has that been easy for you? I appreciate you saying that coming from someone with, with your background, that, that does mean a lot. I do think, and I, I feel weird saying it, but I do think I actually have been pretty good at that. I don't like to give myself a compliment if that is one, but when I was younger, I was always told, oh, you have, you should be a lawyer. I was always able ah! to somehow, I was always able to like somehow bring something down to a level that anybody could relate to or that most people could relate to or to at least the person I was speaking with could relate to. So I never found it that difficult. If I wanted to communicate something to a person Mm -hmm. and I wanted them to, not necessarily that I wanted to always change their mind or in the beginning it was that I always tried to be right, whatever that means. But, (laughs) But if I wanted to at least just get my point across or to tell a story, or to to just have a conversation in a meaningful way, 
I always found that I was able to, to do that on some level. And it's one of my biggest points of pride is that I can connect with people from, and I think my travels have helped me being able to connect with people from different cultures and work with people from different cultures and different age groups. And I think I always kind of have been pretty decent at it because I, I'm a pretty, what I've come to learn is that I'm a very sensitive person. Things affect me a lot. I was recently speaking with a mentor of mine where I got an email from a client that, that, upset, that I thought was not great and I felt upset about it. And that's fine. I mean, I guess we have these long relationships and I love them and I think they love us and all that. But it affected me and it made me feel sad and it like derailed my whole day. And it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was big enough to me. And I went to my mentor and I was like, I don't know how to, to read these emails and not just mm-hmm. be devastated. Like, I'm just so sensitive. And he said, well, there are things will enter your body and you have to understand what to divert to your brain and what to divert to your heart. And I said, that sounds great, but everything enters in my heart. Mm-hmm. Like, and I have to try to get things out of there to go to my brain. But because I apparently am a sensitive person, I also have the ability to empathize on a pretty decent level, or so I've been told. And that, I think, is an unbelievable skill or trait in a good storyteller. Because yes. you, always want to, you always want to consider your audience. How would they react to this? How would they feel about this? Why would they care about this one part? And so I really think, if I can think, why was I always relatively good at telling stories and communicating with people? I think it's because I'm a sensitive person who has a decent ability to empathize with other people. Absolutely. Yeah, that sensitivity, I mean, it just tunes you in to the other person's energy and vibe and emotional state to a greater degree. And then somehow you look to like match that or align with that and tell the person the story in a way that's going to strike the right note. It's just a, the sensitivity is a wonderful quality. It just can be exhausting as like you yeah. give the example of the email <laughs> and is a great tool for establishing rapport with people and being empathetic, but it can be tiring when you take everything to heart like that, but it makes you a better yeah. person though. So thank you for sharing that. I think that a lot of people will resonate with that sensitivity and how it is an absolutely However, you have to like protect your asset. You can't just let it put yourself in situations where you drain yourself emotionally. I think that's the danger for people who are very sensitive. You talked about aligning identity. That's one of the things that your company does. And I think you're talking about a corporate identity, but I also want to take it to the end of like I as the leader in a company, I have an identity as the I don't know, M&A vice president or the program manager. I have this identity within the organization. And I love to, for people to have conversations about alignment, because I think that's the, like the shortest path to getting agreement on how best to work together. But tell me about your work with alignment and identity alignment in an organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of what you just said is is a good part of it. But if we think about it as an individual, we do believe the approach to understanding an identity and then aligning on it is pretty similar to how we do it with organizations. And we also do it with, with thought leaders because we develop thought leadership platforms and strategies for mm-hmm. some of the leaders in, in our client okay. organization. 
And so a couple quick things that we do that anybody really can do is it's a pretty common exercise, but you write down the answer to these two questions. And it's very important to answer these two questions side by side. So it's who am I and what do I do? And then, so it should be two sentences or less. And the reason why we ask them side by side is because many times, if you just ask people, who are you or who is your business or anything like that, they will automatically resort to what they do. Mm-hmm. So I am the CEO of GCM and I work with my clients and I manage my team and blah, blah, blah. But that's not who I am. That's what I do. So we ask them side by side. And then when you have that down, then go to five to 10 people in your network. So that could be in your organization. It could and probably should be outside of your organization, but they also know you on somewhat of a professional level. And then also people who don't know you professionally and ask them those same questions about yourself to say, how in two sentences or less, how would you answer these questions about me? Who am I and what do I do? And then take all of those answers And if you want to very quickly, you can just throw it in like a word cloud generator online and it'll pop out what are the most commonly used words that are associated with you. But see how it matches up with your idea of who you think you are and what you do. Does that match with how people view you? And this is a really common organizational tool that we do as well. How how do you think your best client describes you? And then we actually go and ask the client. And then we see, does this match? And if it doesn't match, well, that's a problem because it's a problem on a couple of ways. One, it might be that you have a very good understanding of who you are and and what you do, but that it's not being communicated or exhibited in a very strong way to your network. Or it could be that maybe you're not as clear about who you are. I mean, it might sound simple, but what we're asking people is a really difficult thing. I mean, I go to counseling twice a month to try to figure some of this stuff out. <laughs> so it's not a, it's really not an easy question. But if you're, if you can poll some of the people in your network, you can actually start crowdsourcing some ideas about who you really are. Because really, self-describing yourself is one of the hardest things you can simply do. Especially, it's funny because people actually have a harder time saying nice things about themselves than oh, they do about being critical. Isn't that you the know? truth? So, So sometimes people are so mean to themselves. It's terrible. Yeah. I often think if I was someone else, I'd have a hard time being my friend. But it's very normal. I mean, it's very common when you ask people like, who are you? What do you do? And people will often oversimplify it or they'll be humble or they won't give themselves enough credit. Mm -hmm. And so including your network in this exploration will really help you get a little bit more. And you don't want it to be completely objective, but a little bit more of an objective view. Mm-hmm. And then you look at that and you start formulating your idea. And then once you have an understanding of what your identity is, who you are, what you do, then I would think about ways of how that manifests in your daily work and in your daily interactions of how you could truly be like that. So people really have that understanding of that who you are. And on an organizational level, we think about it. This is your identity. How do you talk about that in sales? How do you talk about that in your comms and marketing? How do you talk about that internally? I mean, I think the same thing you could think about as an individual. Oh, yeah, I love this. This is a great exercise. And I want to recap it for everybody. Everybody listening, you should be taking notes about this. This is a very cool exercise to get clarity around your identity as a leader and how you're perceived. So you ask yourself these two questions, who am I and what do I do? And then you ask people in your circle of confidence It could be people on your team, a mentor, a skip boss, or people that you trust to see how their perception of you aligns or not with how you see yourself. 
But Zach, so when you answer these questions, it's supposed to be in a sentence or a few words. What was that caveat about answering the questions? So we always say two sentences or less. You don't want to shortchange yourself, but you don't want to okay. keep yourself an entire page because then you're not really defining it. So two sentences right. or less for each question. Oh my gosh. Okay. Two sentences, two questions. Who am I and what do I do? And don't overthink it. So I think that's a great exercise. I think I can see a team doing this with each other to see how everybody perceptions around everybody that works together and just a great way to get, go a little bit, build that relationship, that trust a little bit deeper. So thank you. That is a very cool exercise. I can give you one more, um, oh, good. Which, which, goes, which goes in hand in hand. So we also do this for organizations, mm-hmm. but you could do it as an individual. And so what we'll do sometimes is we'll take an organization and we'll say, we are flipping a switch and you are no longer, let's say a human capital consulting company. Mm-hmm. Today, you are now a bike store. You sell bikes. Mm -hmm. And now you need to tell me why would people come into your store and buy from you and trust you? And so you could do this as an, because what it does is it removes you from what you do and it really makes you think about your qualities, about what you think is important when it comes to your philosophies and approach on life and your work. It has nothing to do with what your actual day job is. And in fact, it's actively removing you from that. And so as an individual, I don't know, do a random job search or, or ask a friend to give you the weirdest job they can think of and think about how you would bring yourself to that job. Why would you be successful in that job? Why would you be comfortable in that job? Why would people trust you in that role? And that too will remove you from what your daily responsibilities are and help you think more about what your qualities are, who you really are as a person and as a professional. Oh my gosh, this is like diamond studded, platinum, titanium. (laughs) Goodness, here's a great tool, guys. Okay, so I'm just going to recap it. I'm going to call it the flip the switch exercise. So you just assign some, like pretend, like I would say to Zach, pretend you are a communication coach for introverts. So why would people trust you if you're not an introvert? Or why would people come to you? Or what if you were a professional oyster shucker? Why would people come to you? I think getting it just totally different. And and that's the kind of framework that helps our brains think more clearly and objectively about who we are and what we bring to the table. That would be a fabulous exercise for any leader to do with self or other people that you're working to develop. I'm totally stealing these. So everybody in the audience, yes, very good. Well, this has been so interesting. I really like your approach. It's so getting to the core of what people, who we want to be and who we're trying to be and what the change we're trying to effect in the world. And I think that even if if your job is digging ditches or cleaning the toilets or writing code or being a CFO, it's the work you do is one thing, but the way you do it is how you transform yourself and you transform the people around you. Would you agree? 100%. Yeah. So it's like when you can just let go enough of the stress and the pressures and just do the job the way you do it and see how you interact with other people and having the courage to just be yourself, to not trying not trying to be what everybody thinks you want them to, 
or they want you to be. That's just such a losing game. It's a trap for people to think that's even possible. You're never going to guess because people don't even know what they want. Right. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no, right. that's I think it's really good advice. It took me, I think, a little bit longer than many to kind of get to, to that understanding, but it's really great advice that you're giving out. Oh, thank you. Well, the reason it took you longer is because you're very sensitive and you were <laughs> worried that way. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> so I have a child who has that very sensitive trait and I coach a lot of people with it, but I'm not as sensitive. So I'm the oldest child. Zach, so I'm used to bossing people around, like, just do it. (laughs) (laughs) And the middle child, my my middle child is also very sensitive. I think it's the peacemaker in them. So all you middle children, Zach Giglio is somebody you want to connect with because he understands everything that goes into being that sensitive middle child and a great communication professional and somebody who really understands people, I think. Before we go, and we're getting to the end of time, tell us just a little bit about your work with the bicycle organization. I think that would people would like to hear about that. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yes. So I sit on the board of a nonprofit called Going Places in Charleston, where you and I are, and we help them with communications and fundraising, things like that. They're unbelievable. So basically, it was started by a teacher at a Title I school. And one of her students came up to her one day and said, for Christmas, I'd really like a bike. And on a teacher's salary trying to make it in Charleston, she just didn't have the money to fork out for a kid's bike. So she thought, well, I want to get this kid a bike. And so I'll do some fundraising. But then she thought, well, that's not fair. I'm sure there's other kids in this class who would like a bike too. I can't just fundraise for one of my students. And so she started to go fund me and it went viral. She was on, I think, Steve Harvey show. And got a lot of initial donations and gave surprise the entire, I think, school with bikes. And now what we do is we still work with Title I schools and we raise money and we do fundraising for a lot of things, but primarily for surprising entire schools with bikes. And some people might think, well, why is a bike that important? And a lot of these kids don't have bikes. And a bike is a huge tool for a child's social, emotional health. It shows ownership. It gives them a sense of escape and adventure. I remember when I was growing up, some of my fondest memories are on bikes. I learned oh, how to go further and further away from home on a exactly. bike. You know, every year same. I got old. Right. Exactly. And now I've traveled and lived around the world. And honestly, I can say that if I didn't have a bike and didn't grow on a bike, I probably wouldn't have done that. And so it's a massively important charity started by Katie Blumquist. And it's going well. We have a lot of challenges. We're trying to raise a lot of money. We're trying to get a lot more schools involved, but we have a bike reveal coming up soon and we're really excited and just very privileged to be a part of this. Oh, that is so exciting. I love to hear about people changing the world for the better. So one last question, just what the people listening to this podcast are people who are crazy. Well, they're probably a little bit crazy, but I mean, they're crazy about getting better at what they do and being stronger leaders, more effective leaders, communicating better. So what would be like your word to them? If you could just leave one final thought, what would that be? Well, I too am trying to grow and communicate better. And basically, I try to, I fully believe that you are basically the combination of the five people that you most closely associate yourself with. 
And so I try to find people that I aspire to look up to at least parts of them to be around them as much as possible so that their traits that I want to embody will kind of rub off on me. And as far as just strict communication, if I want to be a a better communicator, I mean, me as a person, if I'm thinking about my communication, I was once told that wisdom is the combination of emotion and logic. And to not to not just rely on facts and figures. Another quick thing is boss that I had once used to work on Capitol Hill. He was the chief comms officer for a major senator back in the day. And they would get presentations all the time. People would come in lobbying them for money. Please sign this legislation. Please do this. Please do that. And he said, the senator would say that people come in with charts and numbers, but no matter what, a personal story is what sticks to your ribs. So if you can consider the person, consider the human, use your facts and figures to support it, but consider the person, I think the communication will be a lot more effective. All right. That is awesome. So if you would like to connect with Zach Giglio on LinkedIn, it's Z-A-C-H and then Giglio, like it sounds, spelled like it sounds, G-I-G-L-I-O. And I'll think of this edition as all about human connection. And I appreciate your time. And thank you all for tuning in and to this episode of the Speak Up Podcast. And I will catch you on the next time. Have a good day.